Reading from Genesis chapter 3 from verse 1. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, because you have done this, cursed are you among all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Thank you, Alex. Let's pray as we come to God's word. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we pray, please, please help us as we come to your word. Open up the eyes of our hearts. Soften them that we might see, that we might receive what you have to say to us about the Lord Jesus pray this in his name. Amen. If you were to go around the uh, maternity ward at Antrim Area Hospital and speak to various parents of newborn babies, I think it'd be a very interesting exercise. Um, I guess all of the parents would speak about their child as being special, but I imagine that some would speak of their child as being extra special. Uh, maybe one couple says, this is our firstborn. Or another couple says, um, this is our rainbow baby. Or another, this is, this is a longed-for sister. Or another, this is, a, this is a baby we never thought possible, and yet 
Here she is. Well, Christians speak about the babe in the manger as being no ordinary baby, but extra special. But why? Why is his birth so worth celebrating? Why is this babe so special? Well, to answer that, we're going to think this morning about the story of the garden, the snake, and the child. Because Genesis chapters 1 and 2, which was, read, which was what just happens before what was read to us, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 describe the garden, that is, the garden of Eden, the world we once had. And you may think that there are a lot of um, gifts waiting for you under your Christmas tree. In the world that we once had, in the garden of Eden, it was a paradise of perfect gifts. It was a world of safety and harmony, friendship and connection, health and vitality, abundance, pleasure, not to mention intimate friendship with our loving and generous creator. When we experience, when we experience moments of happiness in this world, perhaps the company of a great friend, or a day at work when everything just works as it should, or stunning scenery, or something like that, that, those are little tiny glimpses of what it was like all the time in the world we once had, in the garden. But then in Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to the snake. The snake. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Later in the Bible, this snake is identified as Satan, uh, the deceiver, the slanderer. And that's exactly what he does here. Uh, one person has described that world that we once had as a paradise of yes, and a single tree of no. And yet the snake twists that reality and sows all sorts of lies into Eve's heart. All of these trees, and he doesn't want you to eat from any of them. That's not what God had said. He must be so stingy, don't you think? He's stingy, right? distracting Eve from all of God's bounty to highlight his one good boundary. And so making God out as if he was some horrible, mean tyrant. And of course, Adam and Eve, who, who represent us, humanity, and who do what we do every day, drink in the snake's lies and take and eat of the fruit and rebel against their loving creator God. And with that, paradise unravels for humanity that the work that had once fed their souls now, now frustrates them. And we know that experience too. Their perfect marriage is now marred by argument and bitterness and blame. Health and vitality just 
ebbs away as death enters the world. You think of this Christmas tree over here, um, looking fantastic. But of course, we know that the reality is that from the moment that that tree was cut down from the forest and cut off from its roots, that tree is dying. And hopefully, it'll last another day until Christmas Day. I think it will. But if you were to leave it up for another two or three weeks, you would see it, all of the pines fall off and the branches wither because cut off from its, its source, the source of its life, it is dying. And in many ways, that Christmas tree is like us, the Bible says. In choosing to rebel against our loving creator, we've chosen to be cut off from the source of all life. And as such, we are dying, not just physically, though that is true, but also morally and spiritually. Like that tree, we may still stand tall and glimmer and make people smile and bring joy, but the reality is we are dying. And actually, the Bible says, heading for God's just judgment against us for our rebellion. So paradise unravels because of the snake and his lies and our rebellion. And yet, even in Genesis 3, even as God pronounces his judgment on the world for its rebellion, God makes a promise, a child. In these verses, God gives us a hint of hope. It is just a hint. If you blink, you'll miss it. But it is there. The New Testament writers pick up on this verse, chapter 3, verse 15. And they see in this verse a signpost forward to the coming rescuer. So when cursing the snake, God says to it, I will put enmity, that is, I will put conflict between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What is God saying here? What is he promising? Well, not just that there's going to be an ongoing battle throughout the generations between snakes and humans. Not even just that there's going to be an ongoing battle throughout the generations between Satan and human beings. Now, we're told here about one of Eve's offspring in particular, he. One of Eve's offspring who's going to go to war with the snake, and he'll get bloodied and bruised in that. The snake, God says, will strike his heel. Eve's child will not emerge from that battle unscathed. And yet, crucially, he will emerge from it victorious. God says to the snake that this child will crush your head. This is what God in his kindness promises to us. That a, a child of Eve come to, to defeat our great enemy who has led us astray. And in sending Jesus at Christmas, God keeps that promise I wonder for you, what is your favorite Christmas card scene? Um, 
Maybe it's one of those scenes we had on the screen earlier on, uh, the wise men uh, bowing down at, uh, uh, at Jesus, or the star in the stable, or the babe in the manger surrounded by animals. I wonder what your favorite Christmas card scene is. Well, in Revelation chapter 12, that's right at the end of the Bible, the Apostle John paints for us a, a, a very unusual Christmas card scene. Really, it's a, it's a Christmas stroke Easter card scene, the two events merging together as he seeks to describe Christ's coming and his death and resurrection. What is the picture that he paints to describe it all? Well, quite unusually, he paints the picture of a brutal war in heaven with angels cheering as down here the snake is hurled to the ground in defeat. That is how the Apostle John describes what happens at Christmas and at Easter. As Jesus comes and bears the punishment that Adam and Eve and all of us sins deserve, as he bears that and rises again, John says, Satan's head is crushed. The snake is defeated. And with Satan now defeated, God then promises to remake and restore that wonderful world that we once had. A lot of Christmas songs um, have themes of hope. Um, this year, of course, with the death of the singer Shane McGowan, Fairy Tale of New York, that has been a particularly uh, popular song, I guess, on the radio. And what marks that song out, if you know that song, is that it is so very unsentimental. It's very, very earthy and real. It was Christmas, this is how he starts his song. It was Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk tank. An old man said to me, won't see another one. It's so earthy, isn't it? And yet even this most unsentimental of songwriters holds on, wants to hold on to a sense of hope. As the song goes on, so happy Christmas. I love you, baby. I can see a better time when all our dreams come true. And of course, it resonates and is so popular with so many because despite all of the darkness around us, we want to hold on to a sense of hope. Please let there be hope, we say. Hope of better times, hope of a better world. And actually, what we see here in Genesis 3 is that because of Eve's child defeating the snake, we can have hope that God will restore the world that we once had. We can have hope of living in a paradise world marked by safety and harmony, health and vitality, friendship and connection, abundance and pleasure, and perfect relationship with our loving creator. Because that is what Jesus has come to achieve and to offer us, hope. So two thoughts for us just as we close. 
Uh, firstly, um, as you consider the babe in the manger, I wonder, do you see him for who he is? Do you see him for who he really is? Not just an ordinary baby, not even just a special baby, but actually the very hope of the world. And if you do see him as such, will you turn and trust in him that you might know his forgiveness, that you might be a part of that wonderful, better world to come and, and to know his friendship? And if you're not sure, will you look into it? Will you look again at that child in the manger? You know, we've got loads of um, resources on the table at the back. We'd love you to pick up some of them and just have a read of it. We've got this little um, two-minute read um, in green. Um, we've got this slightly longer book, The Ultimate Christmas Wish List. I don't think it would take you more than 45 minutes or an hour. Just have a read to look again at this babe in the manger. Who is he? The writer C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. The stakes are high. What we make of this child really matters. So the babe in the manger, is it worth, worth another look? We really think he is. But then, finally, I guess if we do see him for who he is, and we do believe in this child, I think this calls on us to think bigger about the babe in the manger. And I think it reminds us to be very careful not to patronize this child. When we see a, a newborn child or get introduced to one, uh, What's our normal reaction? We don't, don't we? It just, it's just, just feels normal to. What, what, what a cute little baby. Isn't she gorgeous? How lovely. Unless it's our own. And we go, he keeps me up at night. But that's what we do, isn't it? We dote. We dote on little babies. But when it comes to the babe in the manger, we mustn't dote. We're to marvel that God would put on flesh and become a baby, we're to be in awe at his humility, but we're not to dote. Now, we're to do what we saw the wise men doing. We're to bow down. We're to worship him in awe and wonder, recognizing that in that babe in the manger is the very one, God's promised one, the snake crusher, his promised rescuer, and the only hope of the world. So this Christmas, will you allow Genesis 3.15 to explode any small thoughts of Christ that you have so that you may bow down before him and worship him afresh, the very hope of the world? Let's pray as we close. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promise fulfilled in Jesus.
of one come to crush the snake's head, to defeat our great enemy, to forgive our sins, come to restore us to new relationship with you, and to remake and restore a better world to come. We thank you for the hope of the world in Jesus. Help us to trust in him and to see him for who he is and make much of him in worship this Christmas, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.